Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. If you got your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are continuing with our series um, in 1 Corinthians. We call it Wild. And uh, remember, last Last week, Joel spoke really well about unity. And uh, remember the three things that Joel emphasized regarding unity was what informs our unity, the object of our unity, and the goal of our unity or the purpose of our unity. But today, we're going to look at the cross. We're going to look at, so I've titled this foolishness. That's what Paul seems to be saying here. And we're going to read this together. So uh, 1 Corinthians 1 from verse 18 until chapter 2, verse 5. That's where we're going this morning. This is how it reads. For the, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who have been saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will taunt. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews, they demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the fullness of God is wiser than, the, uh, than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standard. Not many were powerful. Not many were no, of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you speak to us. You have the ability to speak to us from our heart, to transform us, to equip us through your word. And I pray today, Lord, that you would do that, that you will speak and transform us. I pray, Lord, that your words will really, Lord, mobilize us, rejuvenate us, galvanize us into those, the people that you want us to be. I pray today, Lord, that we would come under the authority of the word, and we would not try and get the word to submit to our own authority. I pray, Lord, that may we not apply human wisdom, but we pray for your wisdom. Even as we try to interpret this passage, to find out what it says, I pray, may we rest in the cross of Christ alone. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Romans had a variety of ways 
of executing their prisoners. And, and the most abhorrent or repulsive or horrible way that they would persecute or they would uh, you know, judge was the cross. It, to a point that the, the, the emperors used to even say that a Roman citizen should not be crucified because it was too abhorrent. It was repulsive. It was something just, just so bad. Yet, as we read this passage, we find that God seems to be, have used something that was seen as really horrible, as bad, as something that's low, that's done for criminals, that's done just to, to criminals and to those who are slaves and to those who are foreigners. God has used that to become something that's so good and so powerful. What is that? The cross of Jesus Christ. And today, as we look at this passage, I want to draw us to three things. The first thing is, we want, I want to look at the foolishness of the cross. The second thing is the converts of the cross. And the third thing is the proclaimers of the cross. The foolishness of the cross, the converts of the cross, and the proclaimers of this cross. Let's go. The foolishness of the cross. Think about it. Every culture around the world has a way, at each culture and each generation has a way of classifying people. So, for instance, during the time of Paul, this is how they used to classify people. There were Greeks, and there were barbarians. You had Jews, you had Gentiles, you had slaves, you had free. But how do we classify people nowadays? You have you black, you white, you European, you Asian, you, you are Brahman, you are Shudras. You are, you are from India. You are from Kerala. <laughs> we, that's how we do it. You are blue collar. You are white collar. You are rich. You are poor. So that's how we divide. But let me just say this. The message of the cross divides the whole entire race in a different way. Paul has used the message of the cross not to, as a way of dividing people in the way that we would think because we would look at these things that we have created to divide people. Paul is saying it is only the cross that's able to, dis- to divide between those who are saved and those who are not saved, those who are perishing and those who are not perishing. So, for instance, in 50 billion years into the future, just imagine, you can't imagine it because you don't know what would be happening. But 50 years into the future, whether you are black or white, or whether you are Brahman here, if you're from India, or Shudras, all those things are never going to matter. What is going to matter is whether you have believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross or not. That's what's going to matter because it doesn't matter your differences right here. Even though human wisdom has said divide people based on this, whether they're from the north of of the Philippines or the south, whether you're from Pampanga or Pangasinan, it doesn't matter whether you speak Filipino or or you Tagalog or you speak English. In In the cross of Christ, those don't matter. What matters is whether you are perishing or you are not perishing. That's what 
God in his wisdom has been able to do. The only way Paul is able to divide is between those who are perishing and those who are being saved. In the future, the cross will appear as the one way to save others. Because one group will be out and another group will be in. The cross is foolishness to some, but to others it is transformation and it is life. That's what Paul says. We can heal people. We can love people. We can care for people. We can be very helpful. We can do some social action and try to be very helpful to our communities. That's not what divides us. That's not what we're going to present before God. The only thing that we can stand and present before God is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not how helpful we've been. Because all that, by the way, human endeavor, in the end, without a cross, is considered garbage. And all that's considered to be the only thing that draws you closer to God is the cross of Christ Jesus. Even though, right now, we look at it and we think, this is foolishness. But it's the only thing that can divide and bring those who are in Christ, those who are in. We can have success. We can have the best qualifications, the best job, the best quality of life, incredible minds, good friendships, and good families, safety, security. Without the word of the cross, we are nothing. But only in the cross are we to be caught up as the people of God. But Paul goes further to challenge this by saying, God has already, he settled this in the Old Testament, that he's going to challenge the, the, the wisdom of man, because man will come up with different ways on how to be saved. And Paul is saying that God in Isaiah 29 had already spoken, verse 14 following, that he was going to challenge the way man think of him saving himself. And God will destroy the, food, the, the wisdom of man because only God has the way and the wisdom how to save mankind. And this is what is, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and, I will, and the discerning of the, the, uh, the discernment of the discerning I will taught. God has a plan. Not only to save man, but to destroy the foolishness and the wisdom of this world. That means God has already spoken. The message of the cross is nothing other than God doing what he said in the past that he will do. That is to destroy human strength, to destroy human wisdom, and to elevate the cross. The foolish cross as the most powerful thing that the world has ever seen. And then he goes on to say, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Here's the thing. During Paul's days, you had wisdom was very important. You had the Greeks were looking for wisdom. Whether you are wise or not, they will follow you if you are some kind of sage. And they'll say, this man has evolved, is very powerful, has some kind of wisdom. So you had different philosophical camps, if you like. And you had things like the Stoics. You have the Cynics. You have the Epicureans. You have what you call skeptics. And by the way, if someone calls you a skeptic, be skeptical. Because in the past, skeptics were called dogs. Because dogs were those who... Dogs were scavengers, and skeptics didn't believe that human beings should live the kind of life we live. They thought we shouldn't have houses, we shouldn't have clothes, we, shouldn't, we should just walk around. And around that time, there were, there were dogs, they were called dogs. So if someone says, you are a skeptic, 
It could be meaning something else. But Paul is saying here, he's saying, nothing, the wisdom of man, all these philosophical camps could not figure the way that God was going to save the world. Think about it. Whether you have communism, socialism, capitalism, and democracy, or you have postmodernity, modernity, generation X, generation Y, equality, all these things that we have right now, none of it has the power to figure out what a cross is about. Only God, in his wisdom, has the power to figure out what a cross is. Because when the cross is presented, even the wisdom of this world is seen as nothing. God destroys the wisdom of this world by bringing the cross. Because the Greeks are looking for wisdom. They say, who is the wisest person? God presents the cross. And obviously, they're going to ignore it. It is not through human wisdom that God has revealed himself. But it is through the cross of Christ. But the, but the Jews were looking for power. And the Jews, were, it wasn't just power. It was military power. They thought Jesus was going to come, the Messiah was going to come as a military commander who would destroy the nations and be the most powerful. And all they ever did was to look for the signs of the Messiah. They will get all the scribes, they will get the Pharisees, and Paul is saying, where are they right now? Because they couldn't figure out the cross. He's saying, where are the wise? Where are the, the, the Pharisees and, and all the, the, the wise people in the Jewish nation? None of them could figure that the cross was the way to go back to God and to be restored to God. You know what? They love the signs. They love the wonders. What God is saying here, he's not saying this, the signs and wonders are bad, but he's saying signs and wonders are not the way to come to God. He says the cross alone. He says it is only through the cross that you will ever come back to God. It is not through the signs and the miracles and the wonders that we perform that we can come to, the, to God. Because if we did, it will all rest on humanity and what humanity can do to save itself. But it rests on the power of God. And you know, most of you come from different nations where you have to vote to elect the next leader, whether it's a prime minister or a president. And what happens is you elect someone and you think this is going to be amazing. This is going to be so great. It's this is going to change our lives. Because maybe you read the manifesto and you looked at it and you thought, I like what I see here. I think this guy is going to change our lives. And the person stands there and he's the most eloquent of people. He's a great orator, speaks and everyone is listening. And it's just amazing what they have to say. But let me say this. Maybe before the end of their term... You can't wait to see them go. Why? Because it's not based on human hope. It's not based on man who can come and bring hope and restore us and be the, the savior. The cross is the only way where the savior will come. Where hope is not hope that comes now and then later on we're looking for something else. This is hope that goes beyond hope. This is hope that is eternal. And that hope that is eternal does not come through the wisdom of man or the superhero that... We have the Avengers happening soon, right? Is it happening here? All right. All right. The superhero that the Jews were looking for, because they were looking for such a great superhero, someone who's strong. That's not how God does things. In his wisdom, which looks like foolishness to every one of us, God is able to save people and bring them.
to himself. Which means the wisdom of God determined that only through the cross and not human wisdom can the world know God and be saved and not through any system that man has established. A God-discovered wisdom is very different from the wisdom that comes from man. And God discovered that through this human wisdom, the the wisdom of man is just a projection of man's fallenness. That man can look at himself and think, I'm the savior. And God wants to say, this is the source of your pride. With your own wisdom, if you could save yourself, just imagine this. If the answer to salvation was through a political party or a level of IQ that we could have, imagine what that will do. Will it make us humble? No. It will make us so proud. And God is destroying the pride of man because the boasting that we need to have is not the boasting of what we can do what we are capable of, what we have the power to do, it is the boasting that comes solely in the cross of Jesus Christ. But also what God has done, he's he's outsmarted human wisdom and his weakness has overpowered human strength. Through human power, we speak of invisibility, but God did not use power. What he did, he used a piece of wood. And through that piece of wood, Jesus Christ did not shake the world, but he was shaken. He was lonely. He was tired. He was blood, sweat, and tears. And it was something that didn't look like power. But it was through that weakness that God, through that foolishness and weakness, that God demonstrated his power. Also through the cross, the cross undermines human wisdom. Because human wisdom leads to self-sufficiency, self-dependency, self-reliance. But Jesus Christ said, I only do what I see my father do. I don't rely on myself. I don't rely on my strength. I rely on the strength that God has. I will become obedient to death, even death of the cross. That's where I go. And by the way, the father is able to raise him up. It's the greatest and the most amazing of all the world. We dare not rest on human power. We dare not rest on human strength. Let us look to the only Savior, the power that came through Christ Jesus our Lord, who has the power to save us and to redeem us from all our sin. Secondly, the converts of the cross. Paul goes on to say, consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Not many of you were great. Not many of you were aristocrats. Many people think that the church, the early church, was very poor. That it only had poor people. Let me tell you this. This is not true. The early church had very rich and very poor And by the way, as Paul is reading this, as he's referring, reading this, he's talking here. He's drawing from Jeremiah. And Jeremiah talks about this. He talks about this incredible difference among people. 
But God is saying that regardless of whether you're rich or you're poor, you come through the same gate. The converts of the cross are not those who were great and wise in the world. The converts of the cross are not only those who were poor and lowly in the world. So if you go around the world today, you'll find that perhaps in, in Pakistan, most of the Christians come from poor backgrounds. If you go to Singapore, most of the wealthy people, at least according to a research, come from a rich, rich background or wealthy background. And we can say, oh, that means this is Christianity is for the rich. Or we can say, oh, that means Christianity is the poor. God says neither. He says, that's not how you come. The converts of the cross don't come through their background or what they used to be. The converts of the cross don't come based on the wisdom of man out there. Because Paul, even as he writes to the Corinthians, what you got to realize is that if in the church in Corinth, by the way, you had very wealthy people, you had very poor people. So, for instance, he refers to a man called Crispus, who was a synagogue leader. History recalls that this man would have been a wealthy person. But then he talks about those who are very, very poor. If you read the book of Philemon, you'd look at the man Philemon, very wealthy. Onesimus, a slave. But the cross is the only thing that can bring these people together. Because it says on the foot of the cross, when you come, the ground is even at the foot of the cross. Which means this challenges the way we think altogether. Because the Bible does challenge us, not only here, by the way, it challenges us even in the book of James as well. James says, he says, why are you guys, when the rich come into your meetings, why do you treat them with such an incredible trepidation? But when the poor come, you seem to not be paying any focus on it. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man... Wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Why you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? They say if you want the gospel blunt and presented to you, go to James. But James says that you were wise over there. For some of you, you were poor over there. But when you come in, you are the same. The ground is even. At the foot of the cross, what the cross does is that it, it levels the playing field for the rich and the poor. And it levels the playing field for your, from your background here. Which means, this is a message I got for the poor. The cross has made it possible for you to assume the same responsibility as the ben uh, and benefit as the rich. For the rich, the sort of bias and priority and status you got over there, out there, where people could tremble as you walked in and do things as you say, when you come to Christ, is very different. The ground is level. But there's also a rebuke for the poor and the rich here. What is he trying to say? If you still think of yourself as a poor person here, you think of yourself as you were before you came to Christ, a poor person with no privileges and no voice, you've been undermined. What you are doing is you are undermining the power of the cross. That has the power to convert you and make you into someone you once were not. For the rich, 
If you still see yourself in the same way as before, that is, you come first and you, you, everything has to be done for you, for your glory, then you're totally undermining the power of the cross. Both are totally undermining the power of the cross. Which means converts of the cross, when they come in, they are one. Because if there was a way that you would come in based on your status, by the way, it would undermine God and what God is doing. Because he says it, why God is doing all these things, that he's bringing people from different backgrounds on the same level. He says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If you are to boast here, boast on nothing else but the cross of Christ. Because you remember the story in Luke 16. It was a poor man, it was Lazarus. Lazarus, the poor man, and the rich man, sorry. And Lazarus, he was a beggar. He didn't have anything. He, but he trusted, from what I can gather, he trusted in God. The rich man, Lazarus, used to sit by the rich man's gate. And then the rich man would walk and disregard Lazarus. And he was there, covered in sores and everything. But remember, in the future, Lazarus became a convert of the cross. Because then in the future, Lazarus was with Abraham. And the rich man was begging that Lazarus help him. But the interesting thing there, because what I'm speaking about here, I'm not speaking about your wealth or your poverty. I'm speaking about your heart. The interesting thing with Lazarus and the rich man is that Lazarus was there with Abraham. It says Abraham's bosom. But the rich man was still very much treating Lazarus like his servant even when he was there. He said, Father Abraham, can you just tell Lazarus to come over and bring me some water? Which means his heart, it doesn't matter. People say, oh, if people see what the future is going to look like, they, you know, they, at least they'll turn. It is in the heart. Even when he was there, his heart had not changed. He was still very much seeing others in a way that was not redeemed by the power of the cross. The converts of the cross see things differently because we rest not on the wisdom of man, but on the wisdom of the cross. And Paul goes on to say, because we trust in Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What is he saying here? He says, Christ Jesus, through the power of the cross, has become three things for us. He's become righteousness, he's become uh, uh, holiness, and he's also become redemption. What Paul is saying is that when you come in through the cross, only Jesus Christ can be can give you the right standing before God, righteousness, justification. He's the only one who's able to help you to have a relationship with God. It's nothing that you bring with you that will help you to have a true good relationship with God. Only Jesus Christ has the power to restore you to God, and he's the one who can become your righteousness. Christ Jesus alone is your righteousness. But then he goes on to say, Christ Jesus only is your holiness. Which means you don't need anything else, human wisdom, to come and become and, and have a right standing with God and be justified by God. You only need Christ. But equally, when you are, you are justified by God, in your walk with God, in your sanctification, in your holiness, in your walk with God, you don't need any human wisdom in that. That's not to say human wisdom is necessarily wrong, but it's not right in bringing you in your relation, into your relationship with God. And you 
as you have been sanctified, made more like Jesus Christ, you need nothing else but the cross of Jesus Christ. You need nothing else but Jesus and him alone and him crucified. He's the only one who can help you in your walk today. You might have everything in this world, but without trusting in the finished work of God on a daily basis for him to guide you, to take you forward, you are nothing. You might have nothing today, and if you don't have Jesus, you still don't have anything. But in Christ alone, he is the only one who can walk you through into the future. And trust in him alone who can, who can guide you and take you through to the next step. But he's also your redemption. But redemption here is not, talking, it's not just an Old Testament language, although he's bringing this from the Old Testament. He's talking about Jesus is your glorification. Jesus is the only one who in glory you will see and delight in. Nothing is going to take you into glory. Nothing is going to take you into future redemption other than the power that comes from Jesus Christ alone. So Jesus saved you. He is saving you now and he will save you in the future. Trust only in Jesus Christ. Boast on nothing else but on Jesus and what he has done. And only converts of the cross realize that Jesus alone is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Lastly, the proclaimers of the cross. The mistake when we read chapter 2 from verse 1 till verse 5 is we think that Paul is saying you shouldn't think. You shouldn't use wisdom. Wisdom is the most horrible thing. That's, let me just save you here. That's not true. Because when Paul was in Athens, what did he do? He argued scripture. When he was in Thessalonica, he used his own wisdom as well and God saved people. But he was trusting in God. He said, with wisdom alone, you cannot be saved. This is what he said. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming, as a proclaimer of the cross, to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in trembling, in my speech. The message, when my message was not most plausible. What's he saying there? He's saying this. He's saying when? Here's an example. We were having a conversation, Max Lee and I and Joel, we were sitting in Costa. In fact, this, this place, just outside. We were sitting in Costa and we were talking. We were having a very good conversation. And we ended up talking about salvation. And one of the things that we realize is that the God works in mysterious ways when it comes to salvation. Why? Because you can have someone who is so good, so good at speaking, who will stand here and speak and speak and speak and, and nobody gets saved. And then you have someone who's stuttering their way through and who doesn't, doesn't even remember some of the terminologies, doesn't remember what to say, and, but is really asking God to help him to, say, to see people saved. And you hear these words and say, what is he trying to say? And then people walk down and they receive the message of the gospel and they are saved. Have you ever gone to those meetings where you, go, you come into a meeting and you think, what is this babbler trying to say? Well, not, not quite like that, but that's Paul's language. But you think, what is this person trying to say? And you realize, I can't understand what they're trying to say. What are they trying to say? And then the person says, does anyone here want to receive Jesus? 
and you see people come down to receive the Why? When someone can have an incredible eloquence and speech and well-prepared, incredible, and they say, do you want to receive Christ today? And no one. Do you know why? Because it's not our speech. It's not what we say. It's not the, 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 the amazing words we use. It is the power of God that saves. Only God can save. He has the power to save. Sometimes, sometimes you, you have a guy... I remember when I first became a Christian, I used to think I was the greatest evangelist that ever lived. And I used to, well, that's because I became a Christian. I was really passionate. I was going everywhere, telling people about Jesus, and people were getting saved. Don't judge. But, <laughs> but actually, it happened, that, <laughs> it happened that I kept going and going and going, and, and some people were getting saved. And then it just happens that you talk to people, you use the same language, you say the very same things that you've always used, said. And the sort of the same kind of people. But nothing seems to happen. He said, I just talked to these guys here, and they were exactly like you. I told them about Jesus, and they responded to the gospel. And by the way, they're coming to church tomorrow. And by the way, they're going to get baptized and everything. And then you just go and talk to someone else about the cross and, and what Jesus has done. And then the person doesn't respond. And you're thinking, what is going on here? It's not me. It's Jesus. And I think that's what we got to come to grips with. That salvation is not based on the eloquence of our speech. It's not based on how amazing we are. It's based on Christ alone. And sometimes you feel like you are in the zone. You have the anointing. But sometimes it feels like it's just gone. Also, the, the cross is not necessarily what people want to hear. When we preach the cross, it's not the sort of message that seems quite amazing when, it, when, you, when you tell people who don't believe. I know it's amazing because it's changed my life. But actually, it feels like it's the sort of thing you should be ashamed of. <laughs> Let me tell you this. It's not a message for us to be ashamed of. When we preach the cross, we preach with power. Lives get changed. Lives are transformed. Something new happens. And God gets glorified. Because God has the power to change lives. So, what does this mean? No one is disqualified from preaching the gospel and seeing people saved. The question is, do you believe the message that you are proclaiming? Have you got a passion for the message that you are proclaiming? The other question is, do you trust in the one you are representing? That he has the power to change lives. And by the way, the message does not have to be impressive. That doesn't mean you don't invest in knowing God and investing in the word of God. Because the one thing that you do is you disqualify yourself and you say, I'm not an evangelist. No one is disqualified because when Paul preached the gospel, he was in his weakness. And by the way, the power to save rests in the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says here, it wasn't about the speech, but the spirit, the demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. When we trust in the work of the Holy Spirit, he has the power to change people's hearts 
from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And what Paul is saying here about the spirit and his power and demonstration, he is not talking about just the signs and wonders. Many people have read this passage and say, do you see this says signs and wonders? You must ignore scripture. You must just only focus on signs and wonders. Paul has just undermined signs and wonders as the thing that the Jews are doing. What Paul is saying here is that the cross of Jesus Christ has the power, that that power is demonstrated through a life that is changed because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. He is saying that it's not just say, someone says, I get saved today, and they go back and their life remains the same. It has the power that will be, can be demonstrated and you can see it because someone's life has been changed. Which means Paul is referring to the likes of Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians. But when the cross came, there was demonstration. What did he do? He became a missionary going to proclaim the gospel because the power of God had come into his life. So the power is not just something momentary, something you receive for that minute. The power that Paul is talking about here is something that radically transforms your life because only the cross can turn someone who is not into something who, someone who is. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit alone who is able to take a heart that is very hard and change it and transform it. Where someone like that who persecutes Christians, is able to turn and you can see a demonstration that the power of God is at work in their lives because they're different, they operate differently, they do things differently. And he goes back to Jerusalem and people are saying, what has happened to him? You know what has happened? The Spirit of God has come upon his life. It's changed him completely and has made him into something different. That is not to say that the, the, the sort of signs and wonders we should nullify. No, the signs and wonders are there because God wants to demonstrate that he is who he says he is in our lives, in redeeming people from sickness, from all these things that have held us captive. But the power of the cross through the work of the Holy Spirit is able to change us completely, that we were going this way, but because Jesus came into our lives, we are changing direction and living for Jesus alone. And when we proclaim Christ... And we trust in the work of the Holy Spirit. We trust in only what God can do. God has the power to change lives. And let me say this. God wants to use you, you and I, to change lives. Because the cross is more powerful than we ever realize. It can change you. It can change me. And it's changed many people. You are here today. Most of you. Because something happened in your life. And by the way, if I was to go around the room and ask you how you became a believer for those who are Christians here, your stories are all different. Because God, in his wisdom, saw that you could be saved in a different way to how I got saved. But the power of God has been demonstrated in that not only did we get saved, but we are running for Jesus and we are going for God. Let us keep going for God. Let's not just take salvation as just, all right, I've crossed the line of faith. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us to really live for God passionately. And even at this time in this city where it's not easy because people are losing jobs and things are happening, let's trust in the power of God that's able to change. In this time when it seems not easy for churches, let's trust in the power of God because the power of God can change lives and it also can change circumstances. Let's all stand together.
I just want to pray for us. Father God, you use something that man saw as foolish, as bad, as just terrible, something that we could just ignore, a piece of wood. But Lord, you used it so that we might not rest on our own wisdom, but on your wisdom. Lord, as we stand here today, we thank you so much that this cross that looks like just a piece of wood has had the power to save us. And Lord, we thank you that the work of the Holy Spirit has been made manifest in our lives because today, Lord, we are saved and we are being saved. And I pray today, Lord, that for all of us, as we come, Lord, the food of the cross today, I ask right now, the Lord Jesus, may we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. May we treat this, Lord, not just as a thing where we cross a line of faith, but as a thing that has the power. Lord, it's not only the power to save us, but the power to save this city. Lord, I pray when man's wisdom fails and comes to nothing, your wisdom prevails, and may we demonstrate the wisdom of God in this city. Lord, I want to pray right now that the very same power that raised Christ from the dead will be at work here. I want to pray for individuals here who are really finding it hard right now, even to make ends meet. I ask now that through your power, you will be, your power will be demonstrated in their lives. I want to ask, Lord, for the church in the city. Lord, I pray today that by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you demonstrate your power. I want to pray today, Lord, for situations, Lord, that have been really bad for a very long time where we have given up. I pray for the demonstration of the power of God that things will change and things will turn around. I want to pray, Father God, for many of us today who have felt like we're not evangelists. I want to pray today that you give us the power of the Spirit and the wisdom of the cross to proclaim the message of the cross. I want to pray today, Lord, for people here if you are here and you we all have our eyes closed if you have not received Jesus if you we're talking about Jesus Christ and you say I've been doing my own thing I don't remember ever saying I want Jesus to come into my life if that's you I want to give you a moment I just want to ask you to raise up your hand if that's you because I want to pray for you if you know here that you've never welcomed Jesus into your life that he's not your Lord and Savior Everyone's eyes closed. Only I will see you. Because I want to pray with you right at the end. If it's you, and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. There's one hand there. There's two hands. And I give a moment. If that's you, you can see two hands. I want you to pray this prayer with me. But I also want you to come and see me so that we can talk about this immediately after the meeting. Lord Jesus, I understand that the wisdom of man that is not safe. I understand now that the wisdom of this world cannot save. I understand that the powers of this world will not save. And now I come to you alone. And I believe that your power can save and change lives. And Lord Jesus, I was dead in my sin, 
I was doing my own thing. But today, I choose to come to you. Not because I had an incredible wisdom, but because you have the power to save. I trust in you alone as the God who saves. And I choose to follow you today. I pray, I repent of my sin. And I want to choose to trust in Christ alone. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I believe as I do this, I am saved and brought into the family of God. And I want to follow you, Lord Jesus, from here on. Because I believe you are the only way to the Father. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray that prayer and you know you hadn't received Jesus in your life, please, I want to see you because I saw those hands. God bless you all. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Thank you.